are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. Contrary to what someone might have told you on the day that you realized you were meant to follow Jesus, The life of faith isn't always a straight or easy road. Now, maybe you're someone who had a a powerful moment of coming to faith, a, a conversion experience of some form or another. And in that moment, and over the initial days and months in this faith, it was easy to think that it really was now all startlingly clear. Or maybe you grew up in the faith, and never really didn't believe. But then there was a point along the way where you really came to own it for yourself. That was more my story. And I well remember just how good it felt to embrace my identity as one of Jesus' own people. It can be exciting and invigorating to discover that one truly belongs to Christ's body. There's a sense of meaning and purpose and security, right? No need to fear anymore, because in life and in death I am held safe in his presence. And there's a lot of truth to that being utterly safe. In his landmark book, Between Noon and Three, Romance, Law, and the Outrage of Grace, Robert Ferrer Capon caps off both the long opening parable of the book, which is about a third of the book, and the searching closing section by citing a line from Paul's epistle to the Romans. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Now, Robert Capon's book is anything but superficially rosy as he plunges the reader into some of the rather deep messes and morasses of life. And yet, and this is very typical of Capon's thought, in the end he throws everything back on the heft of being in Christ Jesus. That's the outrage of grace. And to be clear, I'm utterly with him on that. But you know, along the way, the terrain can change, sometimes without us quite noticing it until it feels stunningly late. In this reading tonight from the prophet Isaiah, we hear those familiar Advent words of promise. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness, Streams in the desert, burning sand shall become a pool. But what about those times when it feels like the streams in the desert have begun to dry up, with a pool of water returning to hot sand? It happens. It truly does. Sometimes it happens ever so slowly without us realizing that a deep aridity has settled into our spiritual life. Sometimes it can be occasioned by a crisis. 
But either way, the deep confidence and secure joy of an earlier faith seemed to fall off to the side. Well, maybe I've been putting too much stock into something that isn't going to deliver, we might wonder. Or maybe I've been chasing some elusive fox down the wrong trail in the woods. Maybe I've lost my way in those woods, and now as the darkness falls, it's hard to sort out which way home lies. That can be a terrifying thought, particularly if one has convinced oneself that being a Christian is a thinly personal thing, not something meant to be shared in community, in the body. Now, many of you have been connected here for several years, certainly since 2016. And you might remember the days that I discovered that I was lost in the woods. The marriage I thought was going to last into old age was gone, abruptly and painfully gone. And I felt lost. I didn't stop praying. In fact, I I probably prayed more than ever before, but it wasn't enough. I needed to reach out to friends, to many of you here, because I needed my friends with me each and every evening of a long, hard summer. I needed friends to listen, friends to pray, Friends to slow down my misguided thinking. Friends just to be with me. And yet, there were these other grace moments. One in particular. Something that spoke to me of Robert Capon's outrage of grace. So let me read to you my description of that outrage of grace from my little book, A Kind of Solitude. I wrote, along with the remarkable support offered by friends, family, and the church community, there were other small graces that summer. The house had a lovely screened back porch that overlooked a landscaped yard filled with perennials, a pond, beautiful old shade trees, and a large patio made with reclaimed brick. That porch had long been my favorite place to read, to write, to simply be. And over those months, it became the very safest of spaces. There were three kinds of lilac in the yard. Each of them had different cycles for blooming, which meant that there were flowering lilacs from the second week of May right through to late June. One day in the middle of August, As I walked through the side yard, I noticed a single purple bloom on one of the lilac bushes. In August? Lilacs don't bloom in August. And as that bloom began to fade, another one appeared, and then a third. And I cherished each one as a little consolation. I'm sure that a botanist would be able to explain why it is lilac bushes occasionally put out a few blooms in August, but I actually didn't much care. That summer, it was a threefold gift, utterly gratuitous in the best sense of that word. Each time I walked that path through the side yard, 
I offered a prayer of thanks for the small graces. When things become hard, when faith seems to be slipping or at least shaky, when life throws us an unexpected crisis, we need one another in this body of Christ. And we can be sustained by such small, simple graces. Lilacs in August. It is simply the way. Well, this is all a very long introduction to a rather short sermon. Because I want to speak of that picture of John the Baptist, which opens in this way. When John the Baptist heard in prison what Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to Jesus, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? John is now in prison, having shouted out once too often how King Herod was morally corrupt and in violation of the Torah, for Herod had married his brother's wife while his brother was still very much alive forbidden in the old law. That prison into which Herod had cast him for being so noisy would have been dank and bleak. And if Herod didn't just execute him, John probably would have died there of some disease or another. Occasionally, Herod would call for John to be brought up out of his cell because, as Mark puts it, when Herod heard John, he was greatly perplexed, yet he liked to listen to him. So there's poor John, who has been so vigorously clear in his message out in the desert. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. And he's now languishing in prison being hauled out now and again for Herod's entertainment and wondering if maybe he'd been wrong about Jesus all along. That's a hard, dark night of the soul, if ever there was one. So he sends his disciples to ask, Jesus, are you him? Or has John made a mistake? And looking at John's disciples, Jesus answered with a stunning sort of clarity. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is everyone who takes no offense at me. And here, Frederick Beekner theologian and novelist comments, nobody knows how John reacted when his disciples came back with Jesus' message. But maybe he remembered how he'd felt that day when he'd first seen Jesus heading toward him through the tall grass along the riverbank, how his heart had skipped a beat when he heard himself say, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. 
And maybe after John remembered all that and put it together with what his disciples told him about the deadbeats being turned round and the lame freed from their walkers, John decided he must have been right the first time. In short, maybe those words of Jesus carried back to John's prison cell by his disciples were enough such that when he finally faced his own death at the hands of Herod, they couldn't quite take the light from his eyes. John needed the reassurance of Jesus, and he needed his disciples to carry his question there for him and the answer back to him. I also suspect that he needed those disciples to return bearing not only Jesus' words, but also compassion and friendship for their mentor who was suffering in that jail. If this story tonight tells us anything, it tells us we need one another, particularly in those hardest of times. And we need to catch a glimpse of Jesus in his healing, compassionate, sight-restoring, death-defeating, promised presence. Oh, and occasionally, a lilac tree blooming months out of season doesn't hurt either. There is, therefore, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening.